It's another day in your life. I know this because I'm with you for every detailed nuance you choose to acknowledge or ignore. I'm not really anyone that's special or important. I'm a bit boring myself, and that being said, we'll focus on you for the duration of this podcast. If you ever wondered what happens after you die, why you can't let go of your first love, why you're always choosing people who hurt you or maybe fearful you'll miss the best part of your life among the details of routine, well, that's where I come in. See, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life because you're already living it. I'm here to narrate the details of what you're doing so when you wake up or when you fall asleep, you'll know the day you lived, well, it matters. Welcome to Narratives. As you sit in the waiting room on the second floor of Rush Medical, you look out the windows into the trees outside. The winter has been warmer than usual this year, and the snow is melting a bit early. Inside the pockets of ice, you see water flowing along clear paths, down onto the parking lot and into the streets below. You sigh and adjust the paperwork in your hand. Neatly folded, the creases scratch along the backside of your hands as you slide them into your fanny pack. The constant companion, full of pain medications, bandages, gauze, wet wipes, plastic gloves, masks, the usual kit that you never leave home without. The zipper gets stuck onto one side of the plastic bags inside, so you push it in and scratch the top of your cuticle on the bracket. It doesn't bother you much. You look up and see an elderly couple making their way from diagnostics and blood work. They're maybe in their 70s, possibly older and carefully help one another step after step. You let out a soft exhalation. It's adorable to see two people still in each other's lives after so many years. Everything in life is speculation, but you imagine they've been together since high school. That seems sweet. You wait for them to look up at you as they sit down, and they check to your right at the empty chair and the left and then they look at you, and then back at each other. It's an odd feeling being on this floor. You never thought you'd be there, in the cancer center, waiting for another follow-up and blood work, but you're there. For all intents and purposes, you've been a healthy young man since you could remember. Barring the near ten years of alcoholism in your twenties, you've done everything right to take care of yourself. Yet you sit and mull over the fact that they found cancer in your body. One of the nurses walks by in a hurry. The squeak from her shoes pass by you, and she's caught off guard to see you among the elderly. She shrugs to herself mid-step and disappears around the corner to administration. Two years ago, an emergency surgery brought you into the medical realm of life. Before then, you never really set foot into a hospital for any reason other than the birth of your children. You went to the emergency room on account of your immune system attacking itself. The white blood cells were multiple times higher than they should have been, and in between shivering fevered bouts of unconsciousness, the ER doctor told you, If we wait any longer, you'll die. So surgery happened, and you pulled through, 
And that was supposed to be the end of the story. A year later and your diet had to change because you kept getting sick for no reason. Stomach cramps, odd pains in your bowels, weird fevers, nausea, sickness. Then they'd taper off and you'd get back to training for marathons and lifting weights five days a week. Then out of nowhere, you couldn't get out of bed again and it'd cycle through. The pain would be so bad you would collapse throw up, but never told anyone because why make them worry for you? It was when your body began to turn on you again, you had to go to the hospital. Then they sent you to the blood screening labs, then diagnostics, then back to blood lab, then scheduled biopsies, and your doctor told you in the most casual way, well, it looks like your stomach lining had been damaged years ago, but things are back to normal now. It's just a bit sensitive. Oh, and we found some cancer cells in your digestive system, your colon, and a few polyps as well. What? You asked. And he replied. Do you have any uh, history of cancer in your family? My grandfather died of colon cancer. Mm, yeah, that'll do it. His eyes scanned the reports. Anything else? Uh, my mother had breast cancer and my grandmother, too. He nodded. Yeah, that's also going to be a factor for genealogical inheritance. He glanced at you. I'd suggest keeping a mask on outdoors, limiting your exposure to anyone, and abiding by high-risk guidelines. What? I'll get Doris in here to schedule your next visit. We'll need to cut some tissue from your colon to send to the lab again. We know it's cancer, but we need to get more details on the spread. Um, that's all. He gave you a single nod, and then left. A year, five surgeries, various medications, and a lot of deductible later. You sit for another visit in the same waiting room on the second floor. Some of the elderly patients you began to recognize... Then they weren't there anymore, and you hoped they'd gotten better. Occasionally, a neurological patient shuffles by, or a very thin treatment patient wheels past your seat. They look at you with disdain, and you can't blame them. You appear to be the picture of health. You've worked twice as hard to keep your body in the best shape you can. You try to stay positive. You try not to let the weight of fear and dread overtake your ability to see an end to this, whatever it looks like. When you had to tell your co-workers why you were having so many surgeries, there were jokes and laughs about your cancer. There's nothing quite funnier than having colon cancer, is there? You go along with it because how the fuck do you not? You didn't want to be that cancer patient who's all touchy about their diagnosis. Maybe it's because you're so healthy, and the idea of anything going horribly wrong didn't seem to be the case for you. Maybe it's because you didn't look like you had cancer or the fact that you might be dead in two years. In reality, there were several nights where your mind went to that scenario. Were you worried about what happens to your family after you're dead? What does dying from cancer feel like? Is it long and drawn out? If so, then how do you accept that? What does any of the endeavors you had planned for your future matter? A lot of these questions show up 
and you have to pass them off because there are no answers really. When you walk around the grocery store, go to the gym or the mall, you wear a mask and get dirty looks from people who feel a piece of cotton fiber over their mouth as oppressing their freedoms. Sometimes you want to scream at them. You fucking asshole, I have cancer. Fuck your ego. My body is doing its best to survive itself, let alone your fucking conspiracy theories. Instead, you just ignore them and secretly wish they'd get cancer too. You can do that since you have cancer. You feel the fanny pack against you that carries an assortment of items to clean your body that's falling apart from the inside. At first, you were horrendously embarrassed about it all, but eventually it's become a part of your routine and you don't mind anymore. Sometimes you stare out the window and imagine yourself in the next life when your new body doesn't hate you, isn't broken, and functions like it should. Sometimes, when the pain is excruciating, you daydream about death and how after this awful vessel comes apart, your soul will be free, and you'll get to choose which life you want to inhabit all over again. Maybe. Because death is a mystery in ways, and in others, the timeless friend we've all met before and will do so again. And you sigh. You've gotten used to the mess that is your body. No one knows and you don't talk about it much. But when your body is being cut up from the inside or breaking apart or growing cancer, there's byproduct. No one talks about this because why the fuck would they, but it's true. And like anything else in one's life, the only one left with that mess is you. Every so many hours when you have to duck off to the bathroom, you remember what it was like before this happened to you. When you were normal, healthy, natural, and took it all for granted. There was a lot of guilt, shame, and humiliation after the second surgery. The third surgery was horrendous, and for a moment, you were afraid you may have suffered a complication that left you with spinal damage. You pulled away from that one and in the midst of not feeling your legs thought, if I can walk out of here, I don't care about anything else I have to deal with. And then you did, and that was a new benchmark of joy, being able to walk again. The remaining surgery became routine. Before the nurses could instruct you on how epidurals worked or what kind of medication you'd have, you would finish their rehearsed dialogue and they'd nod. That's right. You've done this before. Yeah. You just nod and shrug. Unfortunately. The night before surgery or labs, you'd think to yourself about everything that might go unfinished in your life once you're dead. There were so many things you wanted to write, record, perform. So many stories you wanted to tell. And so many of them were still trapped in your head because you couldn't write them down fast enough. That was the real tragedy. It wasn't your life being over. It was the stories never being born. You told your wife, Listen, I know this is routine, but if anything goes wrong and I don't live, 
I want you to make sure my work goes to the editors first before being published. Please, have it published. She would nod, tears in her eyes. I know, please don't say things like that. I know, I know, but just in case. Then she'd drive you to the hospital to the third floor and wait in the car with the babies. Hours would pass and you'd hobble out in a daze and by the time she pulled onto the highway, you were in horrendous pain all over again. You wonder if you're actually getting better. You hadn't gotten any worse and the medications had been reduced. You hadn't died yet and it's been two years so you've beaten the first half of medical statistics. You've written six books in the last year. A mad dash to beat death to the finish line of a series you've been working on. You've got a few albums set aside to release on a schedule and you'll be damned if you succumb to your pains and not write the last chapter of another piece you've been hammering away on. You know there's a finite amount of tissue in your body and eventually if the cancer doesn't stop they'll run out of certain parts to cut from you. Then it'll get to a new stage and chemo and all the odds and ends that go with that process. You shake your head and try not to think on that. Thus far you're doing better. I'm doing better. You say aloud and the old couple hear you. They give you a friendly nod and smile with their eyes, the masks on their face covering their mouths. You are doing better, dear, says the elderly woman. We all are, adds her husband. What are you doing in a place like this, love? You're so young. Colon cancer. Genetic, I think. Aye, that's too bad, dearie. She shakes her head. She thinks on it and says, You know, I don't mind having this illness I've got. I'm 82, and I've had a good life. Three grandbabies. She nods with pride. Paul and I have had a good run. But you're so young, dearie. It's not fair to you. You've got to excuse her. She's a bit of a talker. Paul says, I don't mind. You smile. I've been thinking about it, and... And really, as bad as it can get, we've all got to go. There's nothing wrong with getting old, and there's nothing wrong with dying young either. I'll tell you this. I'm looking forward to getting rid of all this pain I'm in. She shakes her head and sighs. But the thought of leaving this old sod behind sure pains me more. Don't flatter me. The way I'm looking, I'm right behind you. She looks at Paul. Good. She nods. No other women for you if I have my way. She winks at you. And you laugh. And they chuckle. The nurse walks up and calls out your name. You stand up and as you walk past them, fanny pack bouncing against your legs. They both give you a nod. Good news is right around that corner for you, love. I can feel it. Paul nods. You'll be around this earth for a while. Promise you that. Grandbabies and all. Thanks. I hope. You say. And you hope they're right. The Second Floor at Rush Medical was written and performed by Gabriel N. Elizondo. Music and effects provided by Epidemic Sound. 
For a complete list of featured songs in this episode and additional content, please visit www.gabrielnelisondo.com or click the link in the show notes. Narratives with Gabriel N. Elizondo is a Crown and Coil production. All written content and performances are exclusive properties of Crown and Coil Productions. If you liked what you heard, please leave a rating and review. It really does help. And thank you for being part of our story. <laughs> <laughs>